Well, good morning, church. I want to thank you uh, for your prayers um, and your fasting. Uh, As I said two weeks ago, I don't want pity, don't want peanut butter pie, although it is a pretty tough one to not ask for. Um, But I ask for your prayer. And and, um, last week it was announced that the church would be praying and fasting, and you could sign up individually if you want. You could do it on your own. And uh, many of you uh, were involved then in praying and fasting. And so thank you. I know not everybody could be involved, but uh, thank you for doing that. Um, I'm encouraged. I'm so encouraged by a church that prays and you fast for your pastors and for the staff and a church that gathers in small groups, men, women, small groups to read and study God's word, a church that sends their kids and then not only sends their kids to a Wednesday night children's and youth program, but they also serve. I'm so thankful to God for a church that wants to grow spiritually. It serves in our food pantry, uh, Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings. Uh, I'm so thankful for a church that says, I'm all in. Let's worship this God of ours, our, our mighty God, almighty, all-powerful. And I know this... Um, Living for Jesus is not easy, right? But it's easier when you stand together. And I know we've put this picture out there multiple times about standing together. And and, um, it's so important that you stand as a church, not just to defend your faith, but to proclaim your faith. I'll get into that in a second. I I was thinking about this because... um, Baseball. Some of you maybe are watching to see who's going to go to the World Series. Some of you are like, I checked out a couple months ago and my team was no longer in the race, right? Bring on college football if you're a sports fanatic. But for those of you that are still following baseball, Jose Altuve, uh, he's a Major League Baseball All-Star, plays for the Houston Astros. Uh, back in 2017, he's the short guy. <clears throat> he's standing next to the judge who's, I don't know how tall he is, 6'6", six, six, but Altuve is like 5'6". But he won the MVP in 2017, the same year they won the World Series and the Hank Aaron Award and Associated Press Athlete of the Year. And here's this little little guy, right? But he is so big. And he learned what it means to be big when he grew up in Venezuela as a little child. He grew up in poverty. And, and he grew up with a mom and dad that raised him to know Jesus Christ. And he gave his life to Jesus Christ when he was young. And, and he is a believer and he... He, he doesn't keep it to himself. As a matter of fact, he shared his faith with one of his teammates. Paul, you want to tell me who that teammate is? Thank you. Because this first service, I was like, Rob, what did I, Crino? Crin, I don't know, I said his name, Trinos. Yes, Trinos. So Robinson Trinos, and see, Paul's an avid Houston fan, so he's excited this morning. Um, uh, his, his teammate back in 2012 decided to give his life to Jesus Christ. And Robinson was sharing that he's a catcher for the Astros. He was he was sharing that on that day when he asked Jesus to come into his life as Altuve was with him, he said he was out on the field that day playing and he's a catcher and a ball went off of his mitt and hit his mask and it hit it was such a a, a uh, vicious hit. He was diagnosed with a severe concussion for weeks. Uh, a couple of days, he suffered symptoms of, of vomiting and nauseous. And so he was out a few weeks as he's recovering. But this is what Robinson said. He goes, I knew I had to give my life over to God. Then I got hit in the head a few hours after I became a Christian. I guess the devil was mad at me. <laughs> when, I, when I saw that quote, I couldn't help but laugh because I heard the same thing 
a couple weeks ago uh, from somebody in this church that said after they got baptized, they were like, I just got baptized. Thanks, Rex. I said, why are you thanking me? Why, why, why are you saying it? Because they said it was sort of the tone. And I said, I've had nothing but trials and tribulations this past week. I've been being attacked. And it's like, yeah, see, here's the deal. When you proclaim what team you're on, your opponent will step up too. And here's the thing. As a Christian, we were a threat to Satan's kingdom. We are a threat. So that's why it's so important, it's so important to us to understand as a church, as Christians, we don't just gather up and uh, I forgot to put um, his picture up there, but it's, it's not only important that we gather up and shield up to defend our faith, but as Christians, it's important that we gather up to stand together to give God praise. It's important for us to understand that we come together to worship together, to serve together, to pray together, to learn together. We stand together against our enemy, but we stand victoriously for something as well. We stand victoriously for someone, and that is God. So it's not just about defending our faith. It's about proclaiming our faith. And so, church, I'm, I'm excited about that uh, because I, we've been talking about how to shine for Jesus Christ. How do we shine? How do we proclaim our faith? And so we're wrapping up today. We'll get back into the book of John next week. Um, but I want to throw a few quotes up here. Uh, I love what Charles Spurgeon said. Every Christian is either a, a missionary or an imposter. Think about it. Okay? To call a man evangelical who is not evangelistic is an utter contradiction, G. Campbell Morgan said. Another quote. His authority on earth allows us to dare to go to all the nations. His authority in heaven gives us our only hope of success. And his presence with us leaves us no other choice. John Stott. And then as Christians, when we stand for him, we will stand out. We shine. That's R.G. Stump, I think. Anyway, um, some good quotes up there that I'm thinking about often. It's like, okay, proclaim, proclaim, proclaim. Are we proclaiming our faith? But one of my favorite ones, as we've hinged on this for a few weeks here, is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, where Jesus said, You're the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it underneath a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand. And when it gives its light to everyone in the house, in the same way, let your good deeds shine so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. Jesus said... We're lights. We need to shine. We need to proclaim. We don't just stand together to defend our faith. We stand together to shine and proclaim that we love God and that we serve Him. And so that's why we come together on Sunday mornings. It's sort of like, okay, we need to come back in together, sort of recuperate, uh, recuperate and uh, retreat towards one another. And it's like, okay, God, fill us back up. We're going to come. We're going to praise you. And then we're going to go back out there and do it again. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke, chapter 1. See, my plan was to share then today, how do we shine? We shine by giving of our talents and our times and our tithes. We've got a blessings box in the back. We don't have ushers who pass offering plates. Instead, we've chosen just to put a blessings box in the back. Some of you give online. Some of you put your offering uh, into the blessings box. When we give back to God, it's, it's a way of us proclaiming our faith. I thought, you know, I, I do need to speak on giving sometime. It's, it's been years. I, I really don't preach on it a lot. I need to. It's one of the most preached about things. But I tend to shy away from it. It's like, I need to preach on it because that's one of the biggest ways a Christian can shine is by how we give. But 
in preparation for this message, another passage kept creeping in, and it's like, hmm. It's like God was saying, I, I know you do need to preach on Iraq, but I want you to preach on this first. And so this passage, Luke 1, kept coming back. And then again, you're like, Luke 1, isn't that sort of like Christmassy like? Uh, Luke 1, it's like, it's one of those that's lined up right there as you get going in the Christmas story. But I'm not talking Christmas this morning. I'm talking about our, someone's <laughs> like, praise God. Um, but I am talking about how we can shine for him, and you'll discover in a second where this is where we're going with this. Look in Luke chapter 1, we'll start in verse 5. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, we start off usually with Scripture trying to understand a little bit more about it so that we can apply it, and we need to understand this. What's the context of it? You know, we are, Luke was writing this. Okay, but who's he talking about? I love that there's always names, there's dates, there's places. So when we open up God's Word, some people are like, well, that's a nice story. No, it's, it's history. Okay, it's not just a story. Stories can be easily like, you know, something that you, like a fairy tale. Like, no, this is real. So we got names and places and locations here to help us understand what's going on. We understand that Zechariah was a priest. He served in the temple. Both he and, it's important to see this, he and Elizabeth were godly people described as obeying all the laws and commands. And we know that his wife can't have children. And they were both very old. Now, it's like, well, why do they throw that one in there? To help us understand what's going to be coming next. Okay? Look at verse 8. One day, one day Zechariah was serving God in the temple. For his order was on duty that week and was the custom of the priest. He was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. Now understand this. Only priests of a certain lineage could go into the temple to offer sacrifices. And over the years, the number of priests multiplied. It was said that there could have been anywhere around 20,000 different priests in time serving. So for them to determine which priest would come into the holy place to offer the incense or the sacrifices, they drew lots. Just so happened... That Zachariah's name was chosen. Understand, this is, this is bigger than winning the lottery, okay? Because as a priest, you know, you, you were there to serve God in whatever manner, but you, if you were called to go into the temple, it was like, this is, this is pretty special. His name got called. So he's going to go in there. This is probably the, it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Some men never even had the chance to do it. He gets to go in. He's picked to serve. And he's filled probably with a lot of anticipation, thinking, What's going to happen? I know I'm going to go in there. Is there something incredible going to happen? Is God going to speak to me? Had he talked to other priests about this? We don't know. But I'm sure there's a lot of anticipation. So before dawn, hundreds of people would gather to worship at the temple. The morning sacrifice would begin when the incense priests, they would walk towards the temple. They would walk through the outer courts. And they, uh, a gong-like instrument was struck, which sort of brought everybody in together at the sound. The Levites assembled, and they got ready to get the people together to sing songs of worship to God. So if you look on the right picture up there, you see the, uh, the temple, what it would look like, okay, and the surrounding outer courts. 
The other two priests were chosen that morning to walk with Lot. I'm sorry, with Zechariah. They would walk up uh, to the temple on each side, and then they would go inside to offer the incense. Now, we'll zoom in on the one on the left side. All three entered that holy place together. And one priest would set burning coals on the altar in front, and then the other priest arranged the incense so that it would go. And then the two priests would leave the temple, and the last priest, which was Zechariah, was left all to himself in the holy place. I tried to highlight in green the, sort of where he would be standing there in front of the altar. In front of him was, that, again, that golden altar of incense. It's about 18 inches square and then three feet high. And on that small table lay, lay these burning coals in which the incense would be on. And this sort of wisp of smoke would go up. And that was representing the prayers of this nation. Off to his side uh, was the uh, the lampstand, and the other side was the show, table for the showbread. And in front of him was a huge, thick curtain, which behind that was the Holy of Holies, a special place. Nobody was allowed to enter that. One day out of the year, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in. And as I, I shared earlier, sometimes they would tie a rope around his leg to go in because if he was not... Um, deemed holy as God had asked, or if he had done something that was inappropriate, um, he could maybe die right on the spot inside the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was. And they would just pull that rope to pull him out. That's not where Zechariah was going. That was before him. He was in the holy place. And there is where he was offering up this incense and these prayers of the people. Now, meanwhile, the people outside, they see the two men come out, so they know that Zechariah is in there at this point in time, burning the incense, lifting up their praise. So they would then get down on their hands and knees. They would begin praying and kneeling before God. They knew that this was a special moment where their, their priest was now representing them, was in the holy place. Their prayers were now being taken to God. And just like, like the incense, like the wisp of smoke was going up, their prayers were going up to God. And that's sort of, um, again, a picture for them that they could sort of understand and, and what was going on. Now, after that, there would be several minutes of just dead silence as they prayed. And they waited then for Zechariah to linger in prayer in the holy place, and then he would come out. Everybody following me on what's going on here? So that's sort of the situation. Look at verse 11. It says, While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right of the incense altar. So he's in front of the altar. He's praying. He may have his, his eyes closed. He may have been bowing down. But as he's praying, he's praying hard. And he looks up, and there's an angel standing off to the right of the table. Now, who knows what his exact feelings were at that moment? But what we do know is that he sees this angel. And this angel is not one of those romantic figures, long flowing hair like, hey, you know, like a Fabio type or whatever. It, it wasn't a fat little baby with wings, okay? We have pictures and ideas of what angels look like, right? We have no idea what this angel looked like, except it was probably pretty fearful and pretty awesome looking. As he stood there, ready to proclaim a message to Zechariah. We know that it wasn't something cute and cuddly because what does it say about Zechariah? What was his response? Look at verse 12. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. Uh, this, this took him back. I mean, he was shaken. He was scared. A grown man looking at this created being, this angelic being, and like, 
This is incredible. And what's the first thing the angel says? Do not be afraid, right? Fear not is what we always hear throughout the Bible. Whenever an angel is appearing to somebody, it's always, fear not. Because they were pretty awesome looking, pretty great, right? Verse 13. The angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son. You are to name him John, and you'll have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord, He must never touch wine or any alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now. My wife is also well along in years. I love this how how he's like thrown back. He's fearful. He's shaking. And the answer is, fear not. Fear not. i got some good news to share with you. And then he shares this good news with Zechariah. And he starts off by what? Calling him by name, Zechariah. Okay, he knows my name. That's sort of strange and weird, right? But he says this, God's heard your prayers. And I know there's that thing of like, well, good, because I'm in your offering prayers. So I'm expecting God to hear my prayers. That's my faith. That's why I'm a priest. That's why I'm in here. But it's like Zachariah says, no, I'm Zachariah. You're Zachariah. I know you by name. And God's heard your prayers. I know he's heard the prayers of this nation that you're praying for, but he's also heard your specific prayers, and, and which is important for us to hear because sometimes, sometimes we pray for things and we wonder, God, are you going to answer? Some of you know what it means to pray for the salvation of a, of a spouse or a child. Some of you know what it means to pray for the, the calling of to be a, going to ministry or not. Some of you know what it means to pray to have children. Some of you know what it means to pray to get that job or to to find that opportunity. You know what it means to pray for something so fervently in your life. And like, God, are you going to answer? And you wonder. And because you wonder and you're not hearing a specific answer, you start to doubt. It's like, didn't you hear my prayer, God? Aren't you going to reply to what I said? God, I've been praying, I'm praying, and I'm not hearing anything. And before long, you start to doubt. I remember praying for a specific person in my family for six years. I prayed for their salvation, prayed for their salvation. I knew where they were. I knew where they were going. It wasn't pretty. And six years later, God answered that prayer. But I know for some people, it's like 60 years. It's like, God, I don't know if he's ever going to answer this prayer. Zechariah and Elizabeth have been praying for years for a son, for a child. And maybe they had given up. I mean... They're like, man, we're super old now. We're beyond childbearing years, so probably ought to change our prayers to something else, right? When we're in that place, we sometimes begin in the smallest ways to doubt the love of God and His care for us, don't we? It's like, well, God, if you love me, wouldn't you answer my prayers? Church, listen very carefully. God always loves and His care never stops. Never stops. In spite of whether you think he's answering your prayers or not, 
He still loves you. Just because it's like, I've not seen any kind of action here, God, doesn't mean he doesn't love you. The angel describes, I love this, the angel describes the child by name. Are you going to call him John? And then goes on to describe how he's going to be great in the eyes of God, not just man. Because isn't that what we pray for, parents? I pray my kid is successful and, and wins this, and I pray my, my kid is, is, is you know, all state and all this and all whatever. I pray my kid gets the best job. We pray that our kids will be great in the eyes of who? Man. And the angel says, John's going to be great in the eyes of God. Isn't that, isn't that what we should pray for? That our kids will be great in the eyes of God? Because if they're great in the eyes of man, then are they really living it out? Angel says he's going to be great in the eyes of God and describes what John can't do and more importantly what he will do. He says you can't drink strong wine or alcoholic drinks because he's like taken on this Nazarite vow. He would be specifically set apart. He would be different than other people. Israelites, countless people of them would turn to God because of John. He was preparing the coming of the Lord, which Zechariah was hinting at here. He said, fathers, listen, fathers will refocus spiritually. Rebellious will turn obedient. I love this. Hey, the dads who are not spiritually leading like they should, they're going to come back and start leading their kids. And the rebellious, those who want to go the opposite way, will come back around and say, I'm going to follow God. John's going to be a part of that. This comes from actually Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 to 6. Where it says this, look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers is exactly what the angel was saying. They're essentially the last words in the Old Testament coming into the New Testament, which Luke chapter 1 is the beginning of the New Testament. It's a great bridge, right? He says he's going to be a man of spirit and power like that of Elijah. And if you go back and read in the Old Testament about Elijah, we see, man, Elijah, wow, a powerful prophet of God. And the angel's saying, that's what John's, this John, that's what John's going to be like. And Zechariah's got to be, you know, this has got to be incredible, right? A powerful, godly prophet of God, you know, and my, my child's going to be that. Basically, church, listen, eternity is going to be different thanks to John. People will come to know their Savior for the first time because of John. This is going to be an amazing thing. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's going to be filled with God's Spirit before birth, is what the angel says. Before birth. Oh, we see this played out then a few verses later. Because see, Elizabeth eventually gets pregnant. And then Mary, we find out Mary gets pregnant, right? And Mary's like, hey, Joseph, I'll be back. I want to go visit my cousin Elizabeth. So they go visit. And these two pregnant women get together. And as they meet, the baby inside Elizabeth, John, jumps, leaps for joy. When Mary walks in, filled with the Holy Spirit, he already knew who the Savior was next door. Isn't that amazing? And the angel calls it out right here. God's answering your prayer, basically, Zechariah. God is answering your prayer. He's giving you something that you asked for, but he's giving you more than what you asked for. You asked for a kid, I'm giving you a child that's filled with God's Spirit. You're, getting a, you're not just getting a son. You're getting a man of God. Immensely more than you can imagine. So how does, how does Zachariah reply? When we look here, it's like, it's got to be joy, right? It's got to be excitement, right? It's like, 
(laughs) Thank you, thank you. No, it wasn't like that at all. He's like, "Uh, well, thank you, Mr. Angel, for the promise. Appreciate it. Um, but how is this going to work? Because, you know, you know, my wife and I were like, eh, we're pretty old. And uh, we're past those kid uh, years. And, and uh, can you get a sign of any sort to prove this? The angel's like, really? <laughs> really? I think the fact that the angel was standing right there in front of him was big enough, don't you? Isn't that the way it works? It's hard for us to believe sometimes that God would actually be generous with us. That God would actually bless us with something. That God would say, I'm giving you something. And we're like, so, so God, how? God's like, come on. Look what happens here. Verse 19. The angel said, I am Gabriel. It's almost like in this moment, he's like, you know what? It's time for me to amp this up. You need to wake up here, Zechariah. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. It is he who sent me to bring you the good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the child's born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at a proper time. It's like, it's like, okay, you know, here you go. I'm Gabriel. I'm big stuff up in heaven. Not as big as he is. But I stand at his throne and he is mighty. And he sent me to give you this message. And you're not listening. So since you don't believe me, you're not going to be able to talk until that boy is, is born. The boy will be born at the proper time. The promise is still going to happen. You're just not going to be able to enjoy telling anybody about it. As that angel reveals that good news, due to the unbelief of Zechariah, God punishes him. It's like God says, I just gave you something. You don't believe me? Well, don't be surprised if you get punished. When we're disobedient, sometimes we're like, oh, I can't believe God would do this. It's like, you can't believe God would do this? He can't believe what you've been doing. In our faulty beliefs at times, we choose to disbelieve, then we get frustrated when God doesn't pull in for us. It's like, um, come on, read Scripture. Zechariah paid this price for his unbelief. In his unbelief, God doesn't take the promise back. All the promise is saying is just, I'm just not going to let you talk about it. Sorry, Zechariah. I know as much as you want to talk about this, um, and you've got such good news to tell, you're not going to be able to tell anybody because this is closed. Look at verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. They're probably thinking, I wonder if he died in there. We should have tied a rope to his leg, right? I wonder what's happening. But when he finally came out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. See, the custom was when he gets done offering up their prayers of incense, he comes out and he gives a blessing upon all the people that are in the courtyard area. But he comes out and he's like, And they're like, <laughs> gestures, okay, sounds like uh, two words, one, three. You know, is this a game? And he's like, eh, he's probably getting frustrated, right? You want, to, you want to frustrate a pastor? You want to frustrate a priest? You want to frustrate somebody who's in ministry? Take away their voice. Because it's on a Sunday morning when I get to relay to you what I believe God's placed on my heart. And without my voice, it's sort of hard. And it was hard for Zechariah. He had so much he wanted to tell people. Like, I just saw an angel. His name is Gabriel. He came from heaven. He was right there with God. He came in here to tell me that our prayers have been answered. We're praying for a Savior to save this nation. He's coming. 
and my son's going to be a part of the plan. I'm, I'm going to, we're going to have a baby, you know, but he couldn't do any of that. He's like, hmm. and he's like, all right, something cool happened. See you next week. Right? And it's like, oh, they missed out on the good news because of one man's disobedience. Mm. Meanwhile, they go back home as you read scripture. They go back home. Elizabeth gets pregnant, just as God said. And she has no idea it's going to be a boy. She missed the whole gender revealing party. I mean, it's like blue incense smoke came up and it's, hey, it's a boy. It's blue smoke, right? Um, I don't want to make light of scripture, so please don't send me emails. Okay, But he, he, she totally missed it. He could have come out and he could have said, we're going to have a boy. But again, he couldn't because of his disbelief, right? So she missed it until that day he was born and he's like, I've got a boy. The name, family name gets to be carried on. This is incredible. But little did she know how much more was coming. How special John was going to be. A man of God. I'll tell you something. God is faithful, isn't he? God is faithful. We just got to learn to trust him. He's been praying, praying, praying. It's like, I don't know if there's ever going to be answered. God's faithful. We just got to trust God. And instead, and when, when we see answered prayer, here's what happens. We're like, well, how? Or we're supposed to do this. Like, how? Stop saying how and start saying hallelujah. Stop asking why and start saying wow. See, if, 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 if Zechariah would have just done that, Instead of saying, well, how's this and why? If he would have said, hallelujah, praise God, he would have been able to walk out of the temple that day and say, I've got some good news. God had a plan, though, right? Church, listen very carefully. God gives wisdom when we need it. God gives us blessings in ways that we can't fully understand. Some of us, he blesses us with children. Some of us, he blesses us with, with just the furnishings of maybe a home. Some of us, he blesses us with crops. Some of us, he blesses us with a sunset. If you saw it this morning, you were blessed. It was pretty incredible, okay? Some of you were blessed by seeing a shooting star the other night at the, at the ball game. Some of you are blessed in just these little ways. You, you know what these blessings are? These blessings are reminding, reminders that God loves you. And he's a generous God and he gives something to you. He says, I'm going to bless you. In other words, I'm giving you something. Incredible blessings, right? Jerry put it really well last week. He talked about we are sinful people separated from a holy God. That, that A God that ultimately loves us so much, but we're separated from him by our sins. So Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins. He was raised alive so we could be made right with him. That's called the great exchange. There's a verse in the Bible that helps explain this. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. It's a great exchange. God did this because he loves us, despite our failures and trying to obey him. Romans 5.8 says, Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. See, Christ died for us while we were still sinners. See, we can't afford to pay for the sin that we've, we've put upon ourselves. But it was through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that he paid for it. It's sort of like this. Jesus comes up and he sees the sin that we have committed. And he said, you can't pay for that. And God's like, you can't pay for that. And Jesus says, I'll, it's like he hands his holy credit card to God and says, credit, credit their account to me. 
uh, I'll pay for it. And in exchange, we were credited righteousness. It's a great exchange. He pays the price, we get the righteousness. It's an incredible act of love that Jesus did. And in response to that, he basically says, now that I've made this exchange, see, the greatest blessing we could ever receive is not just kids or crops or, or food or all these, these answered prayers. The greatest blessing we could ever receive is eternal life. And it's through Jesus Christ. He says, I'm giving this. You just got to believe. Confess your sins to me. That's what God says. And I'll forgive them. And I'll give you righteousness, a new life. That begins now. Not when we die. Some people think, well, eternity begins when we go to heaven. No, no, no. It begins right now. God's giving you a new life. That's why we can stand together, worship together, praise together, be victorious together. Because Christ reigns in us. That is the greatest blessing he gives. See, God is a very generous God. And as I read the scripture over and over, I just sort of kept thinking, it's like, I have a generous God who doesn't just want to answer my prayers. He wants to give me immensely more. And so before I sit here and tell you as a church that the Bible commands us to give back to God, I felt it's important for us to hear that God is a generous God who gives to us. And I think the proper response was for God's people is like, when we understand how much God's given to us, I think it should change us and we should be able to sit there and say, you know what? Because of what he's given to me, such a generous God, I want to I give back. I want to give back. See, we shine for Christ by how generous we are because we're imitating a generous God who's so freely given to us. God's a generous God. He gave his best. He gave his son. And in exchange, what do we have to give him now? We're offer our lives as living sacrifices. You've given me your son. God, I'm giving you me. My time, my talents, my tithes, my praises to you, God. That's what I believe we're supposed to do. I believe God's generosity compels us to give back. Would you please stand with me? Worship team, come on forward. Church, I want to encourage you. To, and how we shine is, uh, we talked about many ways, through our worship, through our sharing our faith with others. By the fact that we never give up, when we get knocked down, we get back up, but the way we persevere, we shine. We shine in so many different ways for Jesus Christ, but we can also shine by how we give of our time, our tithes, our talents. Listen, church, we have a very generous God that gives to us. So this morning, we sing this last song. I just want you to just take time and worship Him and thank Him for the many things He has given you, especially salvation. As you sing, sit there and think, God, you're awesome. Thank you for giving me so much. I want to shine for you, God. I want to shine for you. I want others to know about you because of what you're doing, doing for me and what you've done for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you, Lord, for this historical record here of Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's just so real. That here's a man of God who doubted. God had to remind him a couple times, trust me, trust me. It's true. What I say is true. My promises are true. My words are true. 
So God, when we open up your word and we see these stories and we see these promises, help us remember they are true. That you are a God who honors his promises. That you are a God who gives. You are a generous God. You gave us your son. So God, thank you for blessing us. Thank you for your generosity. So God, help us now to respond by surrendering ourselves to you. By living for you in a way that honors you. By giving back to you in a way that pleases you. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being a great, generous, giving God. We love you, Lord. We sing to you now. In the name we pray, amen.